This week on the show, Em and Mayday talk all the knockouts action at Impact's Bound for Glory pay-per-view, and I chat with West Coast wrestler, the fallen flower, Kikio. Kikio talk about the evolution of her character, about how the scenes differ between California and Washington State, and why all women promotions are still so important in 2022. This is their biggest show of the year. This is their WrestleMania. This is their Super Bowl. This is, you know, uh, was it double or nothing, whatever AWs is. Like, this is their big show. And you do it on a Friday night. Like, people who want to attend would have to take off work, which means, like, I couldn't go, and I would have wanted to go. Um, And you have it up against uh, a live SmackDown on broadcast TV and a live Rampage and a special AEW Battle of the Belts thing. Like, they're going to get, like, three people watching. Yeah, the timing on this. Okay, so... Uh, for those of you who are listening in, we're going in media res, as they say in the biz. Uh, we, me and Mayday are chatting about Impact's Bound for Glory 2022 happening this past Friday night. As we mentioned, kind of a weird time slot. This is a major pay-per-view for Impact. Uh, this is one of the bigger events that they do. And it it kind of completely i have been following impact or trying to stay on top of impact i have split off in the last two months because i've split off of a lot of wrestling even the stuff i watch regularly regularly um so this one kind of caught me by surprise and i kept forgetting that it was happening on friday this weekend was a tough weekend for a friday night show considering everything that was going on um and then on saturday you had a wwe pay-per-view so on sunday they they do pay-per-views on sundays sometimes i don't really see why that couldn't have been the scheduling this time around it would have filled a very uh, a very open slot in a very busy wrestling weekend i mean sunday used to be the pay-per-view day like that was sure like written in stone and then in the last i don't know five ten years or so they've started playing around with it there's a lot more saturdays and then randomly we had one on friday like that's very strange my only guess is like maybe it's a long weekend or a lot of people were saying football, but like, I, I don't know. Friday night is a very strange night to have your biggest show of the year. I forget that football is a concern for people who watch football every Sunday. I watch football only intermittently at most. So yes, I, and yes, I say that from a very big football town. So it's not as if I don't live in a city where there is lots of football. I just... I don't get plugged into it. So yes, I forgot that that's kind of an issue too in the fall. Well, even then, like, I mean, I don't watch football unless like I'm somewhere where it happens to be on, like, I'm not going to go seek it out. But um, as my understanding, football's pretty much, especially on Sundays, it's pretty much done by like the evening. You can do a Sunday night pay-per-view. Well, there are night games on Sundays, aren't there? I don't know. I know there's Monday night. (laughs) Okay. There is someone listening to our conversation right now 
there's someone listening to the podcast right now who is screaming right at us. how dare you forget the whatever whatever you know games Ooh, Sunday, Sunday night football are you guys stupid blah, blah, blah. uh i mean i'm i'm making fun of you hypothetical listener but uh you should be making fun of us too so it goes both ways exactly also i like to think that all of our listeners listening all 12 of you uh don't hold our lack of uh football schedule knowledge against us <laughs> i i love our dozen listeners heck yeah <laughs> okay so so let's talk the pay-per-view that was we have bound for glory this is one of what like they do five major pay-per-views in this in the year um i think it's I four same as aew yeah it's, so it's the build-up really counts and this one for those of you we usually do a segment about impact pay-per-views because they they feature a lot of women's action so for kind of sounding like a broken record this time around sorry but shocker impact had a pay-per-view there were several women's matches on it. There were several, lots of women accounted for in this pay-per-view. And most of the action, if not all of it, was at least good, if not great. There was a match of the year contender on this pay-per-view for women's yeah, match was. of the year. Uh, there was like there was story, there was action, there was talent, there was build-up, there were feuds, there was continuations, there was everything you could ask for for women's action in this pay-per-view. And that is something that we've just gotten used to with impact. I mean, frankly, I'm a little spoiled. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at the card right now. There was eight matches. Literally half of them involved women. Go figure. Go figure. Go figure. Women featured it prominently in so much of the action throughout the night. We're not going to talk about everything. We're not going to talk about... Uh, we're going to talk about specifically the highlighted matches. Uh, I think we will... I will say that the Call Your Shot Gauntlet is a lot of fun to watch. There are women prominently featured in that going toe-to-toe with the likes of PCO and and others. It's a lot of fun to watch, but there's nothing specifically to call out other than it did do that thing that I'm not a huge fan of in gauntlets where there are women featured where like two women get eliminated at once. Yeah. It did it twice in this gauntlet. Four women total were eliminated in that kind of like two for one deal. And it's not my favorite thing in the world, but you know, that gauntlets are going to gauntlet. You're going to have those moments. Fair. I will also say at one point, um, one of those double eliminations was it Taylor Wilde and Giselle um, mm-hmm. for a good stretch of it. Cause I kind of got sidetracked watching it. Um, they were just like in the corner trading rest holds with each other. Like neither <laughs> one made any attempt to target anyone else. Like they were just happy to, to stall in the corner. <laughs> it, with any kind of major gauntlet match. like oh, I know, but like once you notice it, like I, I was, cause I, I watched the women in the gauntlets to start with, but like once you, once you spot it, like they're just hanging out in the corner and Oh, one's choking the other. Oh, they've switched. Now one's choking the other. Oh, like <laughs> it was just really funny when, you know, a lot of the other people were mixing and matching and trading dance partners. Those two were just, you know, hanging out. <laughs> just do their thing. Um, uh, Killer Kelly had an appearance yes. in the gauntlet. And my favorite, Tasha Steeles. Tasha um, Steeles gave zero fucks about Bully Ray. Oh God, I love Tasha. He stepped so right up. I and there was there was actually several moments of this where like like women were stepping up to fairly formidable seeming men like PCO, like like yeah. uh, uh, like Bully Ray, like just and and uh, uh, Rishwan, like lots of opportunities here. Taylor Wilde had a great had a great um, se- uh, sequence with Rishwan where she gave. Him a hurricane rana, and it was, just, it was, it was, awesome. was. She was a surprise return; like she wasn't advertised. No, she wasn't. And 
I'm I, excited I to was, see if she like back back because I mean obviously they did you know two three days of tapings right afterwards and she's right there so I wonder if she's going to be in the next couple episodes I am thrilled by that and I'm like I was delightedly surprised by my delight like oh Taylor Wild. oh okay I'm in for this so, but speaking of like longtime vets in the business, let's let's t- tackle our kind of main women's matches. We had the continuation of Mickey James's last rodeo tour, a storyline that I'm really loving because women veterans who are still actively on the scene rarely get to make a big deal about their, or at least as far as, far as Western wrestling goes, works differently for Japanese wrestling, obviously, in yeah. other areas, but like in women's wrestling in the Western hemisphere, like we don't take women vets retirement tours that seriously they, they often don't get that kind of highlighted thing they might get a retirement like ceremony or match but they don't get to do what Mickey James is doing which is building an entire story around the idea that either this culminates in her getting the women's division title back or the knockout division title back or she retires so yeah, or every they get, match could be the last match yeah or they get their underwear sold out of a box on raw by crime time <sighs> That was Lita's final appearance as a full-time roster member. I'm yeah, still salty. I, I have blocked. I have tried to yeah. block that. Out. I mean, she, she gets her flowers it. now that she's like a legend, but like her, her last appearance as a full-time roster member, that's what they sent her off with. Anyway. Oh, and, uh, well, and <laughs> let's just, let's, to divert for a second, uh, let's just remember that Lita has recently made appearances for WWE, a company that has, done, has you know, what was, you know, very much responsible for, you know, destroying her, image for like thousands like hundreds of thousands of people like what that company did to her what they allowed to happen to her through the many mouths of very smart ass fans um and very like and aggressively bullying fans and downright anyway uh yeah but however impact is not doing that to mickey james mickey james is uh getting a whole storyline around Run the idea that like every match could be the last one, so it has to count, which is the last rodeo. It's a super powerful thing to enter a match with. Like, what an incredible power that you have that your opponent has. Like Mia Yim is coming into this match with the idea that she could end Mickey James's career. Mm-hmm. That's a really like big momentous thing to build a match on. And it's so simple, but it's so perfect. And it's something we just don't see in women's wrestling all that often. We don't get to see a story that is built around this idea of like. I'm going to cut your legacy off right here and right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like, (laughs) like you said, and that's a very different thing. And like in Joshi, they'll have like a full on retirement tour, but that very rarely, if ever happens in in the West. And I'm I'm very glad to see Mickey. I'm assuming this will end with her retiring. I don't know when or how, but like, that's, that's clearly what they're building towards. I genuinely hope she gets to, uh, get the knockouts championship again one last time, maybe go out as champ and vacate it. And that's her retirement. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like you, you definitely get the sense that this is, it's, it's her last rodeo. Um, and so she's, she's knocking out all the bangers that she's either wanted to have or wants to have again or whatever. Um, and it's, yeah, she, I mean, she started off with, uh, I hate to call them enhancement talents. Um, and she's worked her way up the roster and now she's at Mia Yim and, you know, she's, continuing up the ranks and this uh matchup is very much kind of like one of mutual respect too because they don't play it especially like heel face here like no this was definitely a baby face match yeah 
which, you know, I think I'm, some people are not fans of, but I actually don't have any kind of problem with it. No, with um, the right it story, works. it definitely works, yeah. which it does here. Yes, because this is the type of story where a mutual respect storyline during a retirement tour match, that that's totally warranted. And it still gives both women every reason to succeed. So you have like a motivation other than just sheer hatred, which I think is is, is cool. Like it's, it's something fun to play with. Yeah. Plus, um, as they continued to mention, uh, Mickey James was one of, not the, but one of Mia Yim's first matches. And they had like old MCW footage from like, I don't know, early 2000s or whatever. And just baby Mia and baby Mickey are, are wrestling in an armory somewhere. And, you know, 20 years later, here they are. I love that. I love that so much. I love being able to pull from like from wrestlers' actual match history to like further sell the story on a match that's happening right here and now. Like yeah. it's just it's, it's it's an old trick. It's a classic. It's a classic move, but it just you know it also furthers the the fact that Nikki James is a working legend. Like she is a working icon of the business. She's been doing this for a long time. She's been doing it so long that she was a you know elder statesman of women's wrestling when Mia Yim was just getting started. So like. That that only like furthers our understanding of like the importance of this moment for the, both of these women, right? And it also helps bookend if Mia does win, like she was her first match, she's going to be Mia's last match. Like it helps sell the drama, you know. It, it gives a whole full circle moment that you think like maybe she will do it. I'm behind on the times here a little bit, Mayday. So maybe you can clue me in. Is there been rumors or whispers that Mia Yim is after when her contract is up with Impact, she's not renewing? Uh, yes and no. Um, there's her last report or whatever. Her, her contract is done at, at Bound for Glory. So, uh, I mean, spoilers, Mickey won, Mickey defeated her. So that mm-hmm. could be it. Like she might not be at these tapings. That might be her, her done for a while. That said, I know they were trying to re-sign her for like an extension because she did like a six month kind of get her, get her feet wet, get, get back into the swing of things contract. And that ended at Bound for Glory. And they did say they were trying to extend slash re-sign her, but no one knows if she signed or not. Yeah, I, I really hope that she does, at least oh, for a short term. I don't think that there's any other place that I'd like, I mean, aside from various indies, there isn't another major company where I see Mia being able to do the type of great work that she's been able to do now that she's unleashed at Impact. I mean, every time she does a pay-per-view, they give her a big entrance. She feels like a big deal in Impact. How does and one become one of the Mia Yim cats? Oh, I don't know. But if someone out there knows, please let me know. I'd love to be a Mia Yim cat. Please, please, right? please, please. I can move. I can move like a cat. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> right I'm now? Like, I'm right now. I will live the gimmick. I will spend an entire day in that mask. Please. <laughs> Please let me be a Mia Yim cat, Mia Mayday, please. Yes. Like, let us in. We promise we won't bother anyone. We won't even, like, hiss or meow. We'll, we'll <laughs> use our litter boxes. We'll, we'll, we'll eat out of our own food bowls. Please, please let us be the cat. That's, like, my make-a-wish. If I, like, got a make-a-wish, if I was terminally ill. <laughs> you were dying. Please let me be a cat. <laughs> but, yeah, I really hope that she reacts with impact because... Uh, she's getting to do some really fantastic work there. She clearly has the respect of the other members of the division, and she's in a promotion that utilizes her well. So mm-hmm. it feels like to me, like there's every reason for her to be there and not say like other places people would like her to go that start with A and end with W. What you want her to make root beer? Mm, 
I mean, A&W really should have a wet wrestling promotion. I would definitely go to A&W. <laughs> uh, I mean, I assume, I assume Dan Housen is their champion. Uh, champion and uh, general manager and booker. And I mean, he just, he just run the show there. <laughs> <laughs> um, we went from there. So yes, Nikki did retain or retain. Uh, she did win. She, she retained, she retained her, career. her career. Yeah. <laughs> But he retained her career, uh, and there was a sign of respect after the match was over. There was a lot of like fun, like mind game stuff and like trickery in the match. But afterwards, it was very much the women um, showing respect to each other for the match they delivered. And then we move on to the Knockouts World Tag Team Championship match, Death Dolls be- being Taya Valkyrie and Havoc, accompanied by Rosemary, versus BXT, Chelsea Green and Diana Perazzo. Which that that name doesn't make as much sense in Impact as it did in you know NXT, but um, here we are. Yeah, I. Not, I mean, not they they call it vexed, which I get it and I like it. But if you're gonna do that, just just call it vexed. You don't don't spell it vxt. Just just spell it like a word. Yeah, because I'm never I never remember that it's vexed because immediately when I see it, I just immediately go vxt. Yeah. Uh, I yeah I I'm not a huge fan of the name. I am a huge fan of these women, especially Diana Parazzo, who um you know was the like singles knockouts division uh, title holder like the the woman for 2021 most even going into 2022. She pretty much carried the knockouts division during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yes, and like, she so, was but- the. Diana is a person that I feel like can always be justified in a in a title shot. You know what I mean? Like I feel like if you think of people who can carry a division, she's definitely one of them. They they currently have Jordan Grace in that role, and like Jordan Grace is also a really good person in that role because it just they make sense in a lot of the ways in which they are successful in the ring, their specialties, and their special their the way that they can win matches. It makes sense for them to to occasionally carry the division. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but we have uh, Taya and uh, Taya and Havoc challenging for the tag partnership. Um, not truthfully, this is a perfectly fine match, but I just don't have a ton to say. Um, you get to see Havoc doing a lot of like big girl power moves, which I always appreciate. Um, and really, like not even like power in the way we will talk about when we talk about our knockout division championship, but like literally just like I am big and I'm going to knock you over. I have to say, I'm not the biggest fan of Jessica, like the character. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it fits Jessica Havoc, the person, very well. Um, I mean, she's clearly having a great time doing it, and that's awesome. Um, I, I don't know. I, I Something is not clicking with that character for me. I liked her much, much better as Havoc, like with the gas mask and the spikes and all that stuff. Like it, that fit her so much better in my opinion, rather than like the pink hair and the bubble gum and the happy and like I don't know that that just there's some disconnect there for me. Yeah, I feel you on that. There's something something feels unfinished, or, and with Impact though, I from and this is just my kind of like bias towards Impact at this point too. I sometimes assume that something is going to happen that will justify that kind of those like half finished or half thought or like unfinished edges. Like that we're not, we haven't completely left the ha- the havoc of the gas mask and the like more like scary vibes behind. 
but I don't, I don't know. That could just be wishful thinking or be having that impact bias. There does seem to be something like not all the way there. Yeah. There's, I don't know. There's something not, yeah, not finished is probably the best way to put it. Um, that said, they had Rosemary with them and I am a thousand percent behind Rosemary's little pixie cut. Oh, one million percent loving the pixie cut, Rosemary. Absolutely loving the pixie. I, I like the whole vibe here. And I do think it's an easy enough contrast of like between Chelsea Green and Deanna versus these, you know, like colorful weirdos. Yeah, no, definitely. The the setup was great. I love that Taya is in the weirdo camp. In any other promotion, she is like generic hot blonde woman. But in Impact, she is her like cheery Taya and a bunch of people who are going to take her to hell. <laughs> uh, that, that's a pretty accurate summary of that that faction, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what like name another women's division where you can say like, oh yeah, and then there's this team of people who like occasionally they go to like the underworld. Uh, she took a demon out for mimosas. So, you know, that happened. I, I, I love it so much. <laughs> it's giving you everything you need. And I did mention this um, to Mayday uh, out there, but one of the things I really enjoyed about this match, it just stuck out to me, and I don't even know why, but, like, this is just a great illustration of how hair in wrestling can really help tell the story. Whatever extensions or whatever design, maybe it's, they aren't extensions, but I assume that they're extensions. Oh, they uh, whatever extensions that... Um, Chelsea Green had in her hair these like blonde. There was one on each side. They're not braids, not ponytails. Yeah, I don't They're know what like, they are. They they were yeah, it, but they um they bobbed so much and moved so much that anytime anyone even remotely came close to her, they rippled. And so like it gave us that idea that every time she had any impact, especially when it was like a, a Jessica move, when she was taking any kind of big impact, it just made her like hair look electrified. And it was really cool and it looked, it really sold the impact. And it just, it reminded me, it was just a great little illustrator of like, yeah, design and wrestling counts, costume, like costume and gear design, obviously, but also like hair and makeup tells a ton of story. I'm going to mention the makeup again when we talk about Jordan Grace and Masha Slamovich. That <laughs> yes. also, that also works really well. And it's those little details where you're like, hey, that counts for something. It's not just hair that's long and beautiful and looks nice. It also it has a function beyond looking good. It's uh, if I may, if I may paraphrase, um, what is it, Megamind? The the difference between a wrestler and a professional wrestler, presentation. <laughs> and that, my friends, is our annual Megamind quoting for the year. <laughs> the cinematic classic, Megamind. Anything else standing out to you in this match? Um, I definitely expected Vexed to retain. Um, that was in my predictions. That was one of the two that I got wrong. Um, but we'll, we'll see where the story goes with, uh, the death dolls as the champs now. Death dolls. I do, I, I, I do love that name as much as I'm not a big fan of that. That is I, a good name. Love them yeah. That, that fits Absolutely. the three of them. Yes. Death dolls. Yeah. Cheery and, and Ducky. Cheery and, and. With a you know, spooky, spooky and scary, spooky, scary, they're they're was it there's something in their spooky, they're all together, ooky, yes, ooky and spooky, right there, right there for you. And you know what? It makes sense to me that they uh won the, the belts because you know, we're in the spooky season, it's time for our spooky girls to lead the way. That makes sense, I should have factored that in, but I didn't. <laughs> 
Well, from Spooky Girls to Outright Monsters, we have the Knockouts Championship match. Uh, Jordan Grace defending her title against Masha Slamovich, who was on yes. a 15-16 match streak. Something like that. I want to say 15. Don't quote I, me on that, though. <laughs> we have talked about the issues um, with the current Jade Cargill um, winning streak in AEW in that she had a little streak, like a little, like a couple of matches that she had all won all of them, then got the TBS title, and now she is on a winning streak 38, 39. I don't uh, I genuinely yeah. don't know anymore. Yeah, because the numbers don't mean anything anymore. No, they don't. So I still say they're waiting for 50. They've got to be waiting for 50. Now, whether she loses have- on 50 or loses at 51, I don't know, but. Can we have like a mat a gauntlet thing then where she has like seven mini just little boom, boom 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 boom. Yeah, just knock them all out. Yeah, come on. I I I'll dig that. That sounds fun. The race to fifty. It would be she a change of, it would be a change of pace for her story. Well, and then we could, you know, treat jobbers like jobbers instead of telling, you know, telling any kind of small stories and then just having it lead to a nothing match again. Yeah. Um anyway, we're why <laughs> I brought up Cargill's winning streak is because it is a demonstration of how I'm not a huge fan of like long, long winning streaks when you already have a title, but a long winning streak to get you to a title shot that I'm always kind of here for, especially when it's someone like Masha Slamovich, especially when that title is being held by someone like Jordan Grace and it culminates in a match like this, which is my current women's match of the year. Uh, I would definitely agree with that. This match was insane. This match was insane. Yes, it was insane. Uh, this featured so many moments where I genuinely, and I'm recording this in a conference room at work, so I watch my tone here, <laughs> but this, there were so many moments in this match where I was genuinely like, what the fuck? How? 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 Yeah, um, and there was several, like, right out of the gate that whatever driver on the outside was like, I, I audibly gasped when I first saw that. I was like, Oh Jesus. Um, of course, so commentary. Um, the commentary did a great job of selling early on. Um, Jordan Grace dominates is really fast and quick. And she, she goes right in for the power moves and she is, um, she's really like bullying Masha right at the start, which is something that we're used to seeing in Masha's matches against mm-hmm. her opponent. So the commentary did a nice job of putting a button on the fact that like Jordan is basically like entering this match like Masha Slamovich and is going to try and win this match fast under the Masha playbook. The only problem is that she's trying to pull that on Masha Slamovich. So Masha can't die, apparently. <laughs> I will also say it was uh, Jordan did a lot of like power moves, like power you know slams and big throws and stuff. And Masha would tend to counter with strikes. And I, I really liked that contrast. Like she would like she would sneak out of a muscle buster and just roundhouse kick her in the head. Yes, a couple of really notable uses of a spinning back fist, which, you know, I just, I love a spinning back fist. There's something Who so doesn't? silly about it. I just love it. Um, so many good moments in this, like you said, where there's contrast of styles. And instead of playing off power, which Masha has, she counters with strikes or she counters with some form of like submission hold, um, some kind of like really brutal like manipulation that that just works perfectly with what Jordan's specialty is, which is just slamming and throwing around bitches. Like that's 
<laughs> that's a dark great circle and it's so good to to see it against an opponent who feels like she could escape anything even the like off the top rope moves that she gets put through it also i will say it also really really sells uh masha's toughness because there's mm-hmm. some times where it's like a big giant move and she's just you know dead and they go for the cover and she still sneaks out with a, a kick out and you know the the crowd bites i bite and it's just it, you can tell that like everything she had was in that last kick out and she's still just you know dead on the floor but like it like what is it going to take to put her away and you know she she kicks out of uh, oh no they don't do the muscle buster they tease the muscle buster but she kicks mm-hmm. out of a uh, a michinoku driver then she kicks out of a grace driver which to my knowledge nobody has actually done in impact i know it's happened on the indies but nobody has actually kicked out of that on impact and uh when she kicks out of that you know jordan does the the cartoon Whoa! face but she really sells it um and that that's when you start thinking like what is it gonna take and then you know we found out what it took but like that it it was a steady escalation on both sides masha hits yeah. the air raid crash into the corner and then she hits oh. the snow plow which i still think she needs to give its own name but i i'm assuming it's a respect thing to al snow but she hits the snow plow um which in theory should have put Jordan away, but her foot was under the rope. So she kind of saves herself that way. Like, you know, two inches to the left and Masha would have been the champion. Like love, love, love slow and steady escalation the entire time. And every time. Love that moment with the foot under the rope, because we see foot on the rope. We see that deliberate, like the last gasp of that wrestler, like putting that foot on the rope. But in this particular case, it is sold as a positioning error from Masha, yep. like a positioning error that that where she landed Grace was what undid her. And yeah. that moment was so good. I screamed because my God, that timing, that timing positioning has to work out so well because it can't look intentional. It has to look like a mistake. So everything about that sequence sold it so perfectly. Ah, beautiful. And it, and it does help protect Masha. Like I said, you know, like two inches yeah. to the left, she's the new champion. However, Jordan's got, not, not really anything Jordan did, just the experience. However, the relative rookie mistake by Masha to not check the positioning. And that's what ended up costing her because it went pretty much from there straight into the finish. So like, that was like, that was her best shot. And it, it, it almost, she almost got it. And you, you know, that just next time she'll, she'll know, like you can, you can take that and use that as a story. Like, all you, you was it Ocean's Eleven? You lose your focus in this game for one second, and it's all over. Oh, oh it's so good! It gives me chills thinking about it again. You got like anyone listening out there, you have to watch this match. It is excellent chemistry. These women have incredible ring chemistry. The way that is built up in the match, and it's also not that I'm against blood and guts and, and death matches or anything like that. I'm not against hardcore whatsoever. Not with anyone, men, women, whomever, any wrestlers. I'm all about it. However, this is a great example of a match that feels brutal and hard without ever bringing in any kind of weapons or like outside interference or even going outside that much at all. I was about oh, to say, I, I, was, I was about to say, I don't think they ever left the ring, but they did like once. But yeah, like, right yeah, like there was right no, no, like, yeah, no weapons, no blood. And it's just, they still can murder each other. No blood, but Masha's got uh, red makeup. Um, uh, like she has red 
makeup markings on her face. And so throughout this match, they get smeared, they get placed elsewhere, they end up like landing on Jordan in various spots. So there's color without it being actual color, which is awesome. And yet another way that like these details tell you more of that story. They augment the story and it looks so cool. It's not blood, but it reminds you of blood and it, that's all that you need. Well, speaking of the makeup, can we talk about the makeup? Because Masha Slamovich came out looking like Bull Nakano. Yes, she did. She had like the, I don't know, the veins or whatever that is. Um, and they never called attention to it. But if you look at Jordan, at least in my mind, she's definitely doing like a Luna Vachon style. Like she yeah. has like similar veiny makeup thing on her face. It's not obviously as like as pronounced as Masha's Bulmacano one was, but she has like a design on her face and she has like the not quite side cut, the way her hair is styled. I definitely yeah. got Luna, Luna Vachon vibes off of Jordan. Yeah. The kind of side, the side swept with the frizz, the kind of yeah. like burned out frizz. It's, it's the closest uh, you can do to a side cut without actually buzzing the side of your head. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, no, both of these are terrific. I mean, like any woman in the women's division in Impact looks like very compelling. But like, a, I really love the call out, like gear and makeup design for these, for this match in particular. I think it that's new gear for Masha. I think it is too, although I couldn't remember because the pants do, the, the, the tights did remind me of other looks that she has, but I do think it is new gear. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's phenomenal. Definitely uh, women's match of the year contender. Uh, lots of good ones out there, but this one right up there. So please, if you are listening to this, if you haven't yet watched this match, Jordan Grace versus Masha Slamovich. Did we spoil it a little for you? Yes. Will yeah. that matter? Absolutely no. not. Please go watch this match. You will have, you'll have, every bit of a good time that you want and it's it's, uh, it's so good it's so good man impact and I'm, I'm looking at it here uh time 16 minutes and one second that that match felt like half an hour that match felt like half an hour that match felt like an i was very surprised to see that it was 16 minutes it does not feel like 16 minutes no, it feels it feels long in the best way. And yeah. there's so much that happens that you feel like it should have taken that long, but it doesn't because it moves. It moves the whole time. And I will also say that it it follows the first rule of show business. It absolutely leaves you wanting more. Like, where do we go from here? I cannot wait to see. Like, I I am hundred yeah. percent invested in both of these wrestlers now. I mean, I already was, but now I am more. <laughs> yeah. I, this is just this was my reminder to get back. On regular impact watching, like I had been in August, I got to get back to it. So it's a good reminder for me of what I've been saying. Thursday nights at eight o'clock on Access TV. <laughs> well, there you have it, everyone. So Bound for Glory 2022. Check out. Uh, you can get the replay, or you know, find it through other means. Find those <laughs> games at the very least. Find the video um, segments of each of these matches that we covered today. Uh, Mayday, thank you so much for once again joining me to, to fuse about Impact, Cash, Impact knockouts division you guys just keep just keep going it's the the best women's division in the western hemisphere and it's not particularly close not by no not by miles and miles and miles i have been a fan since rise wrestling i watched every rise event. I had the first 10 DVDs. I watched every single show they did. That was my introduction to you. Yeah, that was a while ago, but it was pretty 
far into your career still, or a couple years into your career, I guess? Let's see, Rise started in 2017, 2016. Yeah, so you were you were not was, a newbie by I was already seven years in. I started in 2009. Yeah, how did that come about? How did that come about? Because you've been predominantly a West Coast wrestler, right? It hasn't been too often that you come this far east. I literally, like, used every last dollar I could to get out to Chicago for all of that. <laughs> I got really lucky. So it was... It was them reaching out and saying like, "Hey, if you can, uh, if you can make, if you can afford no, it, no, right? It was, have completely, you, it was completely all um, just seminars and stuff like that. Like you had opportunities to do stuff if if they wanted it to, but it was essentially like like a tryout for Shimmer, kind of. I guess is the closest thing you can get to it. But it was just like an opportunity for women to have seminars because we don't get seminars." Right, and Bull Nakano was doing some seminars with them for a period, or like one or two. Two of them. She did one in LA and one in Canada, and that's uh, and that's where Max the Impaler got really noticed because Bull chose them as their uh, their champion, essentially. Yes, yeah, because that was I was I was at that Toronto show. That was part of the summit here. I live in Toronto, so oh, okay. So yeah, that was the summit here. I remember Max ended up getting to be on the dark match for that card and they had meeting greets with bowl at the venue which blew everybody's mind because when are you ever going to get to meet someone like bowl nakano in canada oh, i cried i she walked out of the van and i literally started crying i was going to say was she a big influence on you but then i was thinking she her tenure in wwe was so short everybody thought she was yeah because growing up like i didn't really know who she was because i was really young like i I was born in 1989 so i'm only 33 um so when she was you know really prominent in wwf uh, i was too young yeah i'm like four or five in elementary school so um i really didn't get really into her until a couple of years into my career because everybody started saying oh you remind me of bull you remind me of aja you remind me of awesome kong and all, uh, Reggie Bennett and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, who are these people? So, of course, I go down the YouTube rabbit hole and I'm like, oh, they, I can't remind them of her that much. And then I'm watching like the Suicidal Dragon top 10 of Boldecano and I'm like, wait, I do that. And I do that. Oh, that's cool. I could do that if I had the right. Per- I do that. I'm not doing that. But I do all of that. What the crap? <laughs> You've been watching wrestling since you were a little kid because your parents, your grandparents, they were wrestling fans? Correct. Yeah, that's the same with me. My dad was taken to shows by his aunt when he was a kid, still watches wrestling on and off to this day. And so I just grew up with it on in the household. You know, people, I always see people post on Twitter things like, oh, what was the first match you ever saw? What's the first show you ever went to? I'm like, I don't remember. I was was four. I was five. I don't remember. The first show I went to, I was literally in the womb. Like my mom went to a show pregnant with me. I mean, I was a kid in Canada in the nineties. So I can tell you that Bret Hart ruled over everything else. That was like, at the end of the day, it was always Bret Hart for everything. Beyond that, I'm like, yeah, it's just wrestling was, was in the atmosphere nonstop. Right. But so I asked this question, anytime I talk to any wrestler, I have to ask this question because, so I grew up loving wrestling, watching wrestling every week. Not once in my entire life did I ever think I should try that. I should go to wrestling school. I should try to be a wrestler. I could do that. I, I, I was rail thin, like super skinny, not good at sports, not athletic. 
I thought I, I would ne have never thought I could be a wrestler. So I ask everybody, like, what made you think I could do that? I could be a wrestler and be like, I need to do that. Like, I, I, I need to be a wrestler, go to wrestling school, try this. So I was that weird kid who always wanted to be a wrestler. Like when you ask, you know, the little kids growing up, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a doctor. I want to be a princess. I want to be a veterinarian. I'm like, I want to be a wrestler. Like, oh, you're weird. Let's go kick rocks at that kid. <laughs> I'm a tomboy. And I like the Backstreet Boys and wrestling. So, yeah, didn't have a good time. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it was never not a thought to do it. Um, but what really solidified it for me was the Terry Invitational Tournament Finals, a.k.a. the first ever tag team ladder match, Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys. Like, it's iconic for a reason. And I was like, yeah, no, that I, I want to do that. Let's let's go. When I first started training, I was 19 years old. Uh, I was living in Modesto, California at the time. And I was driving an hour and a half to Fresno three days a week to train at North American Wrestling under uh, Mike Rain, also known as James C. from Hood Slam. I did that for about a year or so and then started training under Bobby Hart with Pro Wrestling Bushido. I was there for about six years or so. And I think in 2014 is when I moved up to Sacramento. And that's where um, I started training under Supreme Pro Wrestling with the big ugly JD Bishop and Virgil Flynn, CJ Curse, Timothy Thatcher. Like I, I've had the cream of the crop when it comes to West Coast wrestling help train me. But so this was two thousand nine in California. Like this is it's it's easy to forget. This was pre NXT. This was pre Shine. Like what was what was wrestling like for women no, at the time? I think Shine was around. Shine, Shine was still around, but Shine was, I want to say it was like almost like a developmental for Shimmer. It wasn't as big of its own company at the time. Um, but like women's wrestling was not, it was definitely a bathroom break at the time. Um, just in my area, it was me and one girl I was training with. And the only people I can remember off the top of my head that were actually wrestling and on shows was Cassie Summers, Christina Von Erie, Candice LeRae, and I think maybe SoCal Val. I don't think she had gone up to TNA yet. And then Raisha, uh, cheerleader Melissa was Raisha Saeed at the time, so she was traveling around with TNA and Awesome Kong. There was there was not a lot of women at all. So was there a lot of a lot of intergender wrestling right from the start? Then, like you see that a lot in the oh, Indies absolutely. because. Because partly, yeah, there aren't, there aren't enough women to have like a women's division, but also partly like that's how you learn and grow because the men just tend to be more experienced due to more opportunities. It's also a double-edged sword, though, because and this is getting it more into like the intricacies of, you know, how we do what we do. Um, but like one of the big problems of training with guys, especially guys who are much bigger than you, is some people tend to start to rely on the strength of the guys that they're working because they can just pop them up because they're 120 pounds and they like curl them for a warm up. Um, but when they go to wrestle another girl, they forget to post and things like that because they're used to being just chucked around by big old dudes. And it's like, Hey, you gotta hey, listen here, sandbagger. <laughs> gotta work with me here. <laughs> what can you tell me about the evolution 
from Miranda Rodden to Kurai Hime to Kikio. Oh, throwing daggers. Jeez, Miranda Rodden. I can't believe you. Oof. What is this, Hot Ones? <laughs> <laughs> so Miranda Rotten was actually in the middle of all that. It started, and I'm surprised you even pronounced it correctly because a lot of people get that wrong. Um, Karahime was um, a character that I started out using uh, while I was with Pro Wrestling Bushido. And in 2014, they you know, had some stuff go down and I wasn't able to use the character anymore. And a lot of people, when they pull up the photos, they think, oh, she stole that from Sue Young. I'm like, it's actually painting my face before all of that. <laughs> Have photographic evidence of Sue Young's anime butt in my face at a show that we were at. So uh, that was before she, you know, wrestled Soraya and went through all of that stuff with the Undead Bride. Miranda Rotten was literally like a quick in between while I was trying to figure things out. Uh, you, you, you can infamously see her, uh, against Thunder Rosa on world famous flea market. And they were upset because I didn't have gear. That was the only thing they could pick on through the whole thing, which was really great. So, um, if you want to YouTube that somewhere, you can sure you can find it. Uh, and then Kikyo was born cause I was like, I need something. I'm wrestling Candice LeRae in like two weeks and I need a name. I need to figure it out. And you're always told that it's you cranked up to 11. So I'm like, all right, what do I like? And I'm like, I like anime. What's my favorite anime? Inuyasha. So I start going through all the names of like the villains, the good guys, all the females in it. And I'm like, mm, this one, I like this name, but it doesn't really fit me. I like this name, but it's not chantable. And then like I stuck, uh, found Kikyo and I'm like, her story and my story throughout, you know, not only just like my wrestling life, but my personal life are very, very closely tied together. And it's, it's kind of weird looking at it now that I'm older and can kind of backtrack stuff, but yeah, it just, it fit. And I'm like, no, that's, that's who I am. I'm Kikyo. And the nickname, the fallen flower, was that, is that in in Yasha as well? No. So I, with the, with the things that were going on in my life, uh, transitioning into that name, it was kind of like my my little dig at certain stuff. So I'm like, I'm, I'm the fallen person from the, the area, like the black sheep almost, which is kind of funny because uh, I was sitting with with Mike Rain one day. We were traveling together somewhere and uh, being one of his last students from that era. He's like, it, it's weird how much you've mimicked my career because he was also like a black sheep in the area and he was the only person going up and down California and wrestling and he was always on his own. So um, the fallen flower was like, you know, the fallen student from on high kind of thing. It's funny because I actually came across an interview with Thunder Rosa from years ago where she said that her first match ever was against Miranda Rodden. Uh, yes. Yes, it was. Wow. It very much was. <laughs> and is that, I guess that's just like the SoCal seeing like you were saying like there's not in independent wrestling in general it's easy to forget sometimes there's not that many women compared to the number of men that are out there but especially on the the west coast you're bound to cross paths with everybody coming up you've wrestled candace LeRae, you've wrestled mischief and all these other any woman you can name you've probably crossed paths with at some point it, it is it is weird to to watch 
you know, AEW or WWE, NXT, whatever you're watching nowadays, or even, you know, NWA or GCW, like I've wrestled a lot of these girls and some of these guys. And, you know, it's to, to know that even, you know, some of them got hired because of a match with me. I'm sure it is what it is. I'm not going to be able to do it forever. I would love to be able to be in, you know, Lufisto and Mercedes Martinez and Soraya Knight's shoes and be, you know, as amazing as they are at the age that they are. I hope so. I hope my body lasts that long because I, I have a lot more to give. I got cut down at the height of my career and it sucks. And I'm, I'm still trying to trying to pick it back up. You spent the first 10 years of your life in California. What brought you to Seattle? I moved, I actually moved to Florida for about six months in 2017. And then, um, I moved from Florida to Washington for, uh, personal reasons. And I've just kind of been stuck out here ever since, but I've, I've made a nice little nest egg for myself. So we'll see what happens in the next year or so. How do the scenes differ between Washington and California? It, it has nothing to do with the weather. It has everything to do with the amount of companies there are. In California, I mean, it takes 24 hours to get to the top of California, to the bottom of California. So there is, you can't throw a rock without hitting a company somewhere, whether it be good or bad. Um, in Washington, I mean, there's less than 10 companies in the entire state. And I can I can rattle off 10 companies in California just in, in the first top half of it, of NorCal. <laughs> It's weird moving to a new state because especially like going from California to Florida, I had been wrestling already for 2009, so about eight years or so. And then I go to Florida, but nobody knows who I am. So it's almost like I'm the rookie and I'm the greenie and I have to like reprove myself all over again and, you know, climb the totem pole all over again. And then the same thing when I came out to Washington, they're like, who are you? Like, here you are. Here I am. This is who I am. Oh, wait, she's oh, she's going to Japan. That's cool. Boom. Tore her knee. Shit. All right. Well, we wanted to see what she could do, but we'll we'll see what happens. All right. She's back. Six months. Pandemic. Son of a gun. All right. Well, that was fun while it lasted. Let's let's get back into shape. Tear my knee again. Woo-hoo. So you're really just starting to get back into things now, then. Mm hmm. I've only been back since January of this year, of 2022. After being more or less sidelined for three, four years? Almost three, yeah, basically. Because I uh, I tore July of 2018, came back August of 2019. Pandemic shut us down March of 2020. Retour December surgery march didn't come back until january well and, yeah and we always say like in wrestling a week is like a, a month a month is like a year in wrestling it is so quickly very much out of sight out of mind and things things have changed so quickly really in the last couple of years too i feel like four years ago you could stream a couple of the bigger indie companies beyond you could find footage online now it's like Almost every indie show you can stream live in real time. The the amount of change that I've seen just in my career, like I came in right after, you know, sending out your eight by tens and a VHS tape. You know, I, I, I at least came up in the YouTube era of emailing and things of that sort. But I remember having to put a microphone to a boom box 
with a CD playing for somebody's entrance music <laughs> and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it's it's crazy how much technology has advanced the evolution of wrestling, of how we wrestle, how we get ourselves out there to people. Like, it's crazy. It's so crazy. Does it make it easier in that, you know, if Motor isn't familiar with you already, you can say, well, go to IWTV, type in my name. There's 10 matches right there. Or is it more pressure because now you can't just be a good wrestler. You also have to be like a, a great at social media and you have to be good at plugging yourself on five different platforms to really connect and make people pay attention and get those clicks and get those likes. I can see where it can bring somebody the anxiety of having to interact with all of that stuff. And I completely understand because sometimes it is very overwhelming to sit there with your Facebook and your Instagram and your TikTok and your Twitter and your freaking Foursquare or whatever else you're doing, you know, with your OnlyFans and your Fansly and your Patreon and your buy me a coffee. Like there's so many avenues now that wrestlers can make money or interact with their fans. It's almost like if, if, if you're not trying, like you don't even have to try to have a fan base now. It's really, really easy. And you just, unless you're like, really bad with technology that's the only way it can happen but even timothy thatcher has a, a fan base if he hates technology <laughs> that man loathes his touch phone okay <laughs> yeah and the way that if somebody likes you wherever they are they can find you now someone like me you know you and i've never been in the same room ever in or in the same state but i've seen a, a bunch of your matches and i'm following you on social media and i'm talking to you now through the magic of the internet. So in that way, it, I guess it does make things, like it bridges things a lot easier. Oh, absolutely. And then, you know, when it comes to what you said about like the pressure and stuff like that, like I don't really have, I don't get the pressure from like the ability to be like, hey, yeah, here you can see my matches wherever, you know, type my name in YouTube, IWTV or what have you. I find, I feel that pressure when I'm like backstage at SOS and my music hits and they're not even it's not even recognizing the music because now we have um we have a Titan Tron now, which is really cool. And SOS has gone from literally like a little island show during the pandemic to now we have like we're we've been doing live shows for a year and it's amazing and I love it. Um and I, I love being everybody's southern flat attendant, it's great. <laughs> um but like I'm back I'm sitting there in gorilla. And they're like, and their opponent, and like my name will pop up on the screen, and they're already losing their s, and I'm just like, oh crap, they're already cheering. I haven't even popped out the damn curtain yet. I have, I have a reputation to live up to now. Crap. <laughs> like that's that's where I feel that pressure. The past couple of years, we've seen a, not only an like an an even more focused attention paid to women's wrestling. We're seeing things like NWA and WWE doing all women's pay-per-views, um, promotions like Women's Wrestling Army starting up. You've wrestled for Shimmer, for Shine, for Rise. How do the all-women promotions differ from like mixed-gender promotions? What do they offer? Like, why, why do we still need them in 2022? We still need them because people still think that women's wrestling isn't on par with quote-unquote real wrestling like it's it's ridiculous i mean roe versus wade got overturned for christ's sake like 
we we still have to prove ourselves every day. Like we still have to try 10 times harder than anybody else. Any any person who looks like a a, a masculine presenting slop of crap can throw on some boots and some dunduns and go out there and be like, I'm a wrestler. And everybody's like, yeah. But if a, a, a feminine presenting person did that, people would lose their minds and they would probably drive them to unalive themselves. The, the amount of work that I have to put in just to not be made fun of for the wrong reasons. Like being a bad guy is one thing. Like you can make, you can say whatever you want when I'm wrestling, but when it comes past that and you're just like attacking me as a person because I look a certain way or I, you know, dress a certain way or what have you, like, it sucks. I have to wear not leggings, but pantyhose. I have to wear Spanx along with, you know, I just bought a $75 sports bra to make sure that the girls stay in place. <laughs> like the makeup that you have to go through. And I'm not a makeup person. I don't like wearing makeup outside of wrestling. I specifically only wear it when I'm wrestling or if I'm like going somewhere nice and I want to. Like I have PCOS and I have excess body hair. And I've been put on blast on a Facebook because of being able to see, you know, my mustache in a promo and, you know, a million people are sitting there making fun of me. Like, but they're not going to do that to a dude. We, we shouldn't have to prove ourselves like that. And the all women promotions, like there's so much more support and help and connectivity within, you know, the girls, like going up in the shimmer locker room and being able to ask people who've been wrestling for 15 20 25 30 years even and have that amount of knowledge because wrestling as a feminine presenting person is completely different than wrestling as a masculine presenting person there there's a, a different dynamic to it there's a different way to move it's so crazy the differences but yet everybody expects us to be just a bathroom break oh well you're you're here for the tna like oh that was that was in the 90s and they did their part to make sure that we could do what we do now just because there were bra and panties matches didn't mean that there wasn't Luna Vachon sitting there in her giant goth boots with her black dress and lingerie looking like a badass and still whooping ass while still losing and then having gold dust come down and like cover her up in his golden cloak so she's not naked walking to the back. They, they walked and crawled and scraped so we could run and bust through the walls that were, you know, that were breaking through. You've been wrestling 12, 13 years now, minus the, the past couple of years of hiatus. Do you find that you're usually the more experienced person in the ring now in your matches? Or are you, are there still like a fair number of people around on the shows at 20 years, at 30 years? I'm definitely among, like in the locker room, I'm definitely more on like the longer end of wrestling. So it'd be like, you know, me and Ethan HD and, you know, a few other people, but Nowadays, it's not that the tenure doesn't matter anymore, but there's so much access to the knowledge that, like, I literally go to Nick Wayne, who's 17 years old, and ask him for advice because some people's brains just work better for certain things. Like, I'm a brawler. I'm not a sequence person. I'm not somebody who can sit there and do that ricochet osprey bullcrap. It's just not for me. If you've got something for me, cool. I'll try and remember it as best as possible. Just talk to me out there and we'll be fine. But, like, I'm not going to sit there and come up with some 30-move sequence. 
I'm going to figure out how to break that down and kick you in the face in between. <laughs> yeah. And it's sometimes there's people who've only been in it for a couple of years and it just clicks with them. Some people have been in it for 30 years and it still hasn't clicked for them and it sucks to be them, but it is what it is. 10, 15 years ago, it feels like, especially in WWE and the big companies, women would be retiring at 26, 27, right? Like the, the Vincent company would be like, oh, their, her shelf life is over. Time to move on to the next the next batch. Obviously, things have changed there. We've got Mercedes. We've got Soraya Knight. We've got people like Veda Scott out there still wrestling. Shayna Baszler gives me hope. That woman is 41 years old, and she is on the main roster and still killing it. Yeah, so for all we know, you're you're barely at your halfway point in your career right now. I don't know, man. I feel I feel like I'm 80. <laughs> the arthritis, my back hurt, my neck hurt. <laughs> this 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 game is not for the the weak minded. I guess like there's I know people who walk around with no joints anymore. Like there is just bones grinding on bones, but. Man, it's a drug. And there's more cowbell. Like, when I was hurt, I couldn't, even though I couldn't wrestle, I had to be around it somehow. And so uh, the first time, I really didn't get to do too much. But the second go-around, I got to do a lot of commentary, and I got to do a lot of announcing. And uh, I love doing commentary. I love announcing. It's so much fun. When when I can't wrestle anymore, that's, that's definitely what I'm going to gravitate towards, because... Coining the term pocket sand for death matches when it comes to thumbtacks was a fun one to have Twitter go off about. <laughs> Do you have a sort of unofficial like bucket list or like goal board in your mind in terms of your career? People that you want to wrestle, places that you want to go that you've never, you've never been to before? Oh, absolutely. I, I still want to go back to Japan because I never got to actually debut. I literally tore my knee an hour before the show happened. Um, so I, I would love to go back to Japan and complete a tour, whether it's with Stardom or Marvelous or Seedlining or whomever would take me. I don't care. I, I just I just want to go back. And it felt so odd to be in a completely foreign country, but feel so at home. Like I culture shock was not a thing at all. I, I felt completely at peace. Um, it's a beautiful country. I, I would live there if I could. Um I want to go to the UK and Europe. Still, ne- I never got to go with Rise, so that still tugs at me because <laughs> I've got uh, shout out to Steve Wild, love you, my little my my UK fan base. Him and his daughter have a sh- you know ton of my T-shirts. I'm going up to Canada again soon, uh, November fourth, I believe. So I will be at a WrestleCore, which will be a lot of fun. I want to wrestle Mercedes Martinez. I want to wrestle Lufisto one-on-one. I, I want to wrestle everybody from that era because I grew up watching them. And those those are like the tests because if, if I can't hang with them, then there's no point. All right. And where should people go in order to follow your career, to find you online, to support you? I'm super special. Everything is all under the same thing. At Fallen Kikyo, F A L E N K I K Y O. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, OnlyFans. Support your girl. I 
As always, you can find us online, twitter.com slash grit glitter pod, patreon.com slash grit glitter pod. We redid our Patreon at the start of this month. Two tiers now. $1 gets you our weekly newsletter every Monday. $5 gets you our weekly newsletter. Bonus podcasts like Grit, Glitter, and Glow, where Emily and Valerie Quartz are rewatching the Netflix series Glow. Women's Wrestling Entertainment, where Emily and I are charting the history of women in the WWE from the very beginning, and we are up to 1989 and eight episodes so far. And starting now for just $5 a month, the Grit and Glitter archives every episode of our previous podcast, Talking Honor and Elite Repeat, and every Saturday, a new archival episode of Grit and Glitter. This past Saturday, four or $5 patrons, the very first episode of this podcast. Three years ago, way back in the day, pre-Dynamite, pre-so much developments in the world of women's wrestling, travel back with us to 2019, pre-COVID, and just get a little nostalgic for what the world was like before Grit and Glitter changed everything.